Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the stock rally rolling over? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Summer Friday Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Sam Rines, Managing Director at Corbu. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Maggie. It's great to have you. And, you know, we are in the middle of the trading session because we've moved this Summer Friday show to one. So it's always interesting to uh, because stocks are still trading and started out certainly as a weak session, the major indices down across the board. But but it's been interesting. They've kind of been coming back a little bit here as we go into the afternoon. All bets off until the last hour of trade, as we know, we'll get a real sense how people feel um, about going into the weekend, how they how they So we could see a little bit more selling maybe toward the end. But um, what do you make of this? What do you how, how are you feeling about the action we saw today and also this week? Because it looks like they may be on track for a losing week. Yeah, so I think the action this week is actually really intriguing, kind of given all the machinations that we've seen. Uh, you had, you know, very more fairly hawkish uh, Bank of England come out and just absolutely, you know, say fifty basis points go on a seven-two vote. That was that was pretty. That was that was pretty much the tone, right? It was pretty much a we're going to be hawkish, we're going to kill this inflation, and then we're going to probably keep going and going and going. So I think there's there's a number of reasons that you really had this soft tone in equities this week. Uh, today's action, I think, is pretty interesting because you did see it come off the lows. You saw CarMax absolutely rip after a, you know, a fairly good earnings report for a company that was you know, supposed to not be doing very hot. But uh, I, I think the underlying tone of equities is probably going to be pretty heavy here as you're just going to continue to have a number of headlines that aren't necessarily very positive over the next couple of weeks, right? You've got bank earnings come, beginning to come out. You've got a number of different, uh, call it catalysts for pessimism. Yeah. So it's interesting. We, you, the Bank of England, we talked about that at length yesterday. Um, and that was a, that was a real surprise. You also had Jay Powell, right, for two days of testimony over and over again, repeating the fact that we're on the inflation fight. We're not done. You know, there's more work to do. You, you chop it up a million different ways and he's delivering the same message. How what part of that do you think that stock investors are paying most attention to? Because the, it looks like central banks are a problem, a headwind, but it's because the economy seems better than anyone anticipated. Yes. You know, so which could be good for profits. Um, so so how are you balancing that? Mm. And so so the way that I kind of view it is, yes, you do have hockey, very hawkish uh, relative to what we thought a year ago. Right. I, I think this is this is kind of the fun place to step back and say, where were we a year ago? We were talking about a Fed pause and the potential for a recession, significant recession last fall. Right. So last summer, we were talking about the Fed being able to pause and inflation, you know, being beaten, et cetera, et cetera. And the U.S. economy continued to chug along. Right. We had the first revenge summer last summer. And we're, it looks like we're going to have another pretty big revenge travel summer this summer. Uh, so I think it's, it's pretty much the same narrative, just, you know, 
call it 23 instead of 22. Uh, and I think that the Fed has done a pretty good job of articulating what it's going to do, right? It's a skip, not a pause. You know, Powell said, I never use the word pause. And I think that's really important, right? There's, there's probably a couple more hikes and then trying to hold. And that, that makes a lot of sense with what we're seeing in the economy, which is services continue to boom. You know, everybody bought goods. The goods economy is not looking great. Manufacturing not looking great. That's a relatively small portion of the economy in general. And it's all about services now. And when the services economy is booming, it's really difficult uh, to say that there's some sort of significant slowdown in the consumer. So until you really begin to see call it the revenge travel, the revenge of the consumer begin to break down meaningfully, it's probably a catalyst for the Fed to continue to act hawkish. And it's probably a reason to not just talk, but act. Yeah. So what's, is this sustainable? This, I, I love the revenge summer. I feel like that really encapsulates how people feel. And I, I just talked to someone this morning and I said the same thing, like you can still see people taking those trips that got postponed because it was like three years of trips that, you know, people had planned like family reunions and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it makes sense. It's still happening, but what is it sustainable? You know, is there enough support mm -hmm. there for the consumer? Is this still all the, all the fiscal that's working its way through the system or is it the, is it the strong labor market? What's propping up the consumer? Because a lot of people would have thought they'd run out of steam by now. Yeah, so there's a couple of things propping up the consumer. One, wages are continuing to at least trickle higher. Uh, they may not be moving up as quickly as they were, but they're, they're continuing to move higher. And the labor market is rather tight, right? If you're, if you're an employee, you're not worried about getting fired because you know you can find another job, right? There's a now hiring sign on every single building, it seems. So I think it's a combination of wages continuing to move higher. That makes people feel like they can spend and knowing that they can, you know, go out and get a job no matter what. So it's a confidence uh, that they can spend. And I think there's there's a couple of other things that you can look at that kind of provide confidence that this at least isn't going to end until the fall. And that is you know, cruise lines talking about forward bookings being incredibly strong, uh, planes being booked out, you know, trips, hotels, right? These are these are companies that have a fairly good view into the future with those mm. bookings. And when the bookings are doing well, guess what? It's 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 pretty easy to say, you know, at least until September, October, this looks like a pretty good consumer economy. Yeah. Uh We'll talk about what this all means for sectors and things you like and what your thoughts are after we kind of uh, talk a little bit about the macro framework you're operating off of. So consumer looks good. That sort of services area looks good. You're also watching, we talked about goods economy not performing, but you're also watching some really interesting trends that also sound like they're supportive. Talk to me a little bit about re-regionalization. You put that in one of your notes. What do you mean by that? Why is that important? Yeah, so at Corbu, we, we tend to be thematic in the way that we think. And that, at the moment, call it our number one theme, is this re-regionalization theme. Um, it's similar to the reshoring theme, uh, but it's really putting capital in the ground of, call it the allies, the alliance of friendly nations, uh, and not necessarily in the ground in China. Uh, or unfriendly countries generally. And you know, I think this week has been one of those weeks to really pay attention uh, to what's kind of happening underneath the surface. 
Uh, you had the Blue Oval announcement by uh, the U.S. government. Uh, that's the Ford SK Battery uh, Alliance there, that they're getting a $9.5 billion loan to build two factories, one in Tennessee, one in Kentucky. And, you know, that, that kind of, you know, perked my interest a little bit and reminded me of this tiny little company called uh, Commercial Metals. And it's this small company makes rebar. And, you know, rebar is boring. Rebar is not that interesting most of the time. But the company is booming. And instead of guiding that, you know, maybe this was kind of the end, you know, the, the CEO basically said it's going to be quarters and years of boom for rebar as we continue to build this out. And I think that that's really something that's largely being ignored, that there is a tremendous tailwind, not necessarily to Silicon Valley or to uh, you know, New York, but to middle America, there's a lot of investment going in the ground for these factories, and it's going into the ground in a very, very meaningful and fast way. So that is so interesting and so important when, when you're talking about rebar, and, and and bizarrely, when I saw your note, we were talking uh, to the editorial team. I just watched this whole uh, PBS special on bridges. <laughs> They're structurally so many of them around the world need to be repaired, which is so geeky, but it was so interesting. I just stumbled, we stumbled upon it accidentally. Um, so there was a lot of talk about rebar there, as you can imagine, <laughs> Sam. But, yes. um, but a lot of this money will make its way to exactly those kind of projects. I mean, these infrastructure projects that have been in need um, although it's it's so pervasive that people have been talking about some of them are getting the money first and figuring out, okay, well, what, where do we need to spend it? It reminds me, I don't know if anyone rem listening remembers, cast their mind back, but when um, Alan Greenspan was chairman of the Federal Reserve, he used to like all these weird indicators like corrugated cardboard that was used in shipping because it was an indication of how much freight was moving through. So it, it strikes me that rebars are a really, really interesting thing to watch right now as this indicator of that kind of activity, um, you know, around. So is that the main way to do it? That that doesn't like trade on its own. You're just looking at these companies that supply it, right? Yeah. So, and it's one of the things that I really like to do. I, I think it's, it's one thing to get kind of your macro from, you know, government data that's released rather untimely and gets yeah. all sorts of adjustments to it. Um, and, you know, frequently is revised. Uh, it's another thing for, you know, to get your, call it your macro from the micro and understand what's going on at the company level, because the companies are the ones that are hiring people, they're giving wages, and they go to prison if they lie, right? So, you know, that to me is a really strong indication and a really good way of understanding what's going on, not just for, you know, company A or company B, but for the macro environment more generally. What, what are companies doing? Uh, how are they reacting to the environment? And how are they planning to react to the environment that they're seeing on the ground? So I think it's really important to pay attention to what companies are saying. I, I don't think rebar is the only way to look at it. You know, there's, right. there's, there's some other really interesting, call it, you know, there's, there's some concrete companies that you can look at. There's concrete pumping companies that you can look at. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all reporting that commercial or, you know, that industrial uh, construction is really doing well. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And this is, you know, we're always trying to talk about, we go over this in the Academy on Real Vision. We're always trying to ask people about um, forward-looking 
or real-time uh, indicators or signals they watch for as opposed to things that tend to be more rear view looking and and lag because you know that's hard and importantly ask whether the fed is watching too many of the latter and not enough of the sort of real time indicators um so i think that's super super interesting so we we have a question but uh, that i'm going to ask after this i want to run a clip though because all right we've got this sort of um news coming in from these companies who have to budget and plan by the way so i think that to your point great place to look for that because they're committing capital. They really have their finger on the pulse of those future orders and what they're hearing from, from customers. So you've got, that sounds like a very strong economic story. Um, on the flip side, we know there are some weak spots. So Andreas in his latest episode of Steno Signals took a look at commercial real estate and its impact on banking. Let's have a listen to that and we'll talk on the other side. In terms of the commercial real estate sector, I, I mean, it, structurally speaking, over the next, say, one or two years, I remain very skeptical that this is a sector that will perform once all of the refinancing of loans uh, will feed through the system. So who are the backholders of the exposures in, um, in commercial real estate space? Um, if you look at the, the chart here, uh, the dark blue colored area at the bottom shows the uh, percentage of the exposure uh, towards commercial real estate loans held by, by banks uh, and smaller regional banks actually make up a large portion of that, uh, of that banking uh, exposure. So this is something to watch still when it comes to the banking sector in the US and also exposures in particular in regionals. Um, I, I, I would be surprised uh, if this is already a, a story of the past, um, given the amount of refinancing that we have just ahead of us in the commercial real estate space. And uh, bear in mind that this is an issue for mainly regional banks, uh, not to the same extent, at least not from a relative perspective for, for larger banks. That full episode of Steno Signals is available on our platform. If you are not a member, you can scan the QR code and come join our community. So it's it's such an interesting point and we've been we've been talking about this we're continuing to track that um, as many are coming on across our platform um, and there's a lot of worry around that but Sam how does that how do those you know um, sort of forces balance out because you've got the strong fiscal but then you have what a lot of people are anticipating to be a pretty painful credit squeeze because those regional banks that may be exposed even if it's not the tier one the big systemically important ones those regional banks are important lending facilities for small and medium enterprises, small businesses across the country. So if you have them reluctant to lend and a sort of, you know, uh, dampening effect there, how do those two things balance out? Wow, that train better not come through your living room. That thing is going off next to my if, office. If you get whisked um, away, we're going we're gonna to yeah. think we, we've just entered the world of Harry Potter. So you, you exactly. sound magical and, and magician-like, Sam, but if you just <laughs> we'll have some real questions. So, um, so how do yeah. those two forces balance each other? How do you see that working? So I don't necessarily think that they're going to work very well together. Um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, the fiscal side is going to be much more of a, call it the building up the infrastructure. It's not necessarily going to be able to compensate for the lending to small uh, businesses. The one thing that it can offset in a, in a way is that a lot of those regional banks are middle American banks. And I think when you really look at where the footprint of 
some of those regionals that have the largest exposure, uh, they're pretty close to where a lot of this, you know, the, you know, these factories are going in the ground. So you may have some offsetting factor of that the economic runway of, you know, this is two, four, six years worth of construction, jobs, wages going into those communities. And then you actually have the long-term jobs being created in these factories that you may have some offsetting factor there where the middle of American middle of America's economy can compensate somewhat for the credit issues that uh, that could arise. Uh, but I think that's really the only offset that you can really see there because it's it, it, it you know it is meaningful, right? Commercial real estate offices, you know, that is a meaningful portion of some of these balance sheets. That's going to contribute to the credit issues. Mm. And I, you know, the world has changed. Not everybody's going to the office more than once or twice a week. And yeah. I, I just, I don't see that changing as we move forward. Yeah, Jim Bianco has talked a lot about about that prospect with us. And, you know, this is the unknown, right? This is kind of unprecedented what we've seen. So it's really hard to kind of forecast that or tease that out. So David is asking, can the U.S. have a recession when it's, this is kind of related to what we're talking about. Can the U.S. have a recession when it's running an 8% budget deficit plus elements of past stimuli have yet to be spent? Exactly what we're talking about. For example, a lot of money from the COVID rescue programs is still sitting at the state level and being sent, spent. So can, does it look like the U.S. is going to go into recession? I, I am not of the opinion that you see a recession in 2023 and probably not until late 2024 would be my would be my assessment of the economy and that's from a that's from a very high level right i yeah. you know you could begin to see an uptick in you know call it an uptick in oh, unemployment towards the four four and a half percent level you could you know continue to see very slow gdp growth but yeah, i i don't think you get to see much of a problem in the us economy with these types of tailwinds right you have the consumer then you have the massive amount of fiscal spending that's coming through the system and coming through the system over a long period of time i think mm -hmm. that's really it's going to be difficult for call it the goods economy to drag us into a recession for for a while yeah it's interesting too that infrastructure type spending, public works type spending, it seems like that would not be as interest rate sensitive, right? Because the money's already been allocated. Whereas if you're looking at higher rates, we know that hurts housing. Because Warren Pies, for those of you who are remembering these conversations we've had all week, Warren Pies, we started out the week with him, was talking about um, really watching the construction workforce. And when you don't see that going down, you, it, it's it's sort of impossible for him to see a recession coming. So he's been pushing out his recession timing because he's not seeing that drop off in construction workers and the labor force of construction. But even if you see housing start to go down because of rates, um, you, if you've got those people who can roll over to a sort of infrastructure type jobs, presumably that's going to stay tight. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. You know, a lot of these uh, jobs are fungible, right? You can mm -hmm. you can build a house, you can build a factory, you can build multifamily, you can build industrial. It's they're they're very fungible jobs. You know, once you know how to do how to pour concrete or how to uh, you know set up the forms for concrete, you know that you know that goes across multiple 
different styles of construction. So uh, when you have this type of infrastructure building uh, in middle America and the housing market not falling off a new housing market, not falling off a cliff like we thought it would, uh, it's very difficult to see, you know, a world where construction jobs really lose their steam. And, you know, we've talked about it, I've talked about it with numerous people that, you know, when you have, you know, the lack of electricians, when you have the lack of plumbers coming through the system, that's, that's, that's a big issue. And it yeah. kind of creates a little bit of a bottleneck of sorts. So I, I would agree that it's very difficult to see a recession um, coming up in the pipeline. And it's very difficult to see, you know, a significant slowdown in construction jobs. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That's so interesting. So Christopher asking, Christopher, by the way, Christopher and David are having a robust debate conversation amongst themselves, which I love um, on the chat. But uh, Christopher asking, the Kansas City report yesterday was lower than during the Lehman fiasco. Is it possible that players are focused on short-term economic numbers and missing a pernicious move in deflation, which will cause the economy to crater? On the goods front, I, I would say on the good side, on the manufacturing side, you know, that's certainly the case. Uh, mm. Everybody bought everything they wanted during COVID and now everybody's traveling where they want. And that's a significant difference. And it's a differential in where you spend and how you spend. And that's being reflected in a number of manufacturing surveys. And when you look at the ISMs or the S&P uh, survey that came out today on services, that's still expanding and it's still adding jobs. And, you know, so I, I would say goods deflation, you know, that's typically what you see, right? That was the normal for the better part of a decade. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you see goods inflation, you know, that's that's the oddity. That's that's really kind of the not the way things are supposed to go, at, at least in the inflation data. So I, I would say, yeah, deflation on goods, Maybe, probably. Uh, deflation on services, absolutely not. Uh, Bob, uh, Jim, sorry, his name is Jim Bob. Got them. I almost switched them and called you Bob Jim. Jim is asking, why does Sam see a recession toward the end of 2024? Oh, that's just the first time I see a possibility. A possibility. Yeah. It's, it, are we back in, into like a soft landing conversation? Or we're not even yeah. landing. We're just like in, in growth mode here for the economy. We're, we're just... You know, we're back to kind of call it that slow reel, uh, you know, or I, that's kind of what I always called it was slowly real. And it's probably back to that. So you're going at, you know, 2% type real growth, maybe 1% to 2% type real growth. And, you know, after the boom we saw coming out of COVID, uh, that's probably a good thing. It allows supply chains to fix themselves on the goods front and allows the services side to somewhat self-correct. And then, you know, we can kind of get back to that two and, you know, 2% inflation, 2% growth over the long run type of deal. That's, you know, that's kind of the way that I see the ripples after COVID happening over the next 18 months. So if we bring it back to the stock markets, D does that does that forecast support stocks and does it support a broadening of the rally that we saw, which has been so concentrated in technology? So yes, I, I would say it, it certainly should support a broadening 
I, I'm, you know, the technology side, AI, et cetera, that, that hype, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure that uh, we should have bid up everything on it, but I think when you look at, you know, companies making rebar, having amazing quarters, when you see CarMax not being as bad as feared, you know, there's a number of these underlying uh, trends that continue to support a decent stock market. And, you know, we're all, we're all kind of like, complaining about the state of the world and we're getting paid 5% on cash and the S&P is bouncing between 4,400 and 4,500. I mean, that's a pretty good state of the world. Um, so that's, wor I, that's worth pointing out. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, while it's, it's fun to kind of, you know, see the wheels falling off, you know, you know, if you're in cash, you're getting paid 5%. And if you've been in equities, you've done pretty well. So I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that, you know, that's, that's not a bad place to be. And as you begin to have some of the cash begin to flow back in to equities, I, I think it's going to be a much more, uh, call it equitable rally in stocks as you begin to spread out uh, who's winning and who's losing, uh, particularly as we move into the back half of the year where you're beginning to see a lot of companies say, we think we're getting towards the end of destocking. And we're going to need to either restock or begin to pull up our volumes a little bit. So I think there's going to be some pretty surprising data in the second half of the year, kind of right along the time that the services industry begins to slow down a little bit. You may begin to see some of that destocking uh, of goods begin to become either a restocking or at least a keep stocking. That's so interesting because that sounds like uh, sort of a Goldilocks situation that is services cool, goods pick back up again, goods are low right now, services are red hot. If everything was red hot, we'd be completely overheating. That sounds like, a, the, you know, the ideal circumstance. Maybe a lot of people are going to say, is that too good to be true? Yeah, it, I mean, it might be. But when, you know, you had Winnebago, you know, the giant RV company talking about, hey, this, this destocking at our dealer level appears to be, you know, almost over and we're going to get back to more of a steady state type deal. That's RVs. I mean, we all knew that RVs were getting, you know, that were just going nuts and then they were falling right. off Right, if cliff. that's not the COVID sort of, you know, supply. Exactly. It's one of the most COVID things ever. So when you have Winnebago saying that, and then you have a company like Smith & Wesson, these are just companies that reported this week, uh, saying that they see the destock on guns coming to an end. I mean, that's Winnebago's and guns. I mean, that's that's two different, like wildly separate things, um, but they're both pretty manufactured in the US. And I think that that's one of the kind of call it the two, the two ends of the spectrum to kind of think about. When both of those companies are talking about the end of destocking, I think it's worth kind of perking up and beginning to pay attention that something's going on towards the second half of the year about maybe we get, call it an end to the goods destock and all of a sudden people wake up to a little bit of a manufacturing boom of sorts. And is that, and th that sounds like that's not in many people's forecasts at all. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, right. Because a lot of people, you know, particularly with goods, uh, right, it's easy to look at something like the corrugated cardboard that you were uh, referring to and say, hey, it looks like we're, you know, this is a goods recession instead of saying, well, wait a minute, what are companies saying about, 
what they're going to ship in a couple of quarters and being able to kind of look out and say, well, where's cardboard going to, to be in call it three to six months. Right. Um, a lot of people have been saying, you know, listen, you've got this inverted yield curve on bonds. Um, stocks are rallying. Everyone can't be right. These markets are looking, I mean, someone's, one of these markets is way off, way off base. Uh, well, sure. But, you know, you know, there's, there's always that kind of idea that maybe we have been in a quote unquote, you know, kind of underlying, you know, sectorial type recession over time that, you know, everyone's kind of self-corrected. Right? I mean, tech last year and early this year self-corrected and, you know, had a significant number of job losses, a lot of shutdowns um, of the VC world. So that, you know, that's kind of, you know, call it, there was already a tech session. Uh, there was a real, call it a real estate recession, et cetera. So I, I would say, you know, call it the curve can be, call it right, but the curve can also be wrong. And equities look out 12 months. And, you know, when you had tech down 50%, that made a lot of sense. And when, you had tech rebound that made a lot of sense um, looking out. So I don't know that, you know, I don't think people are going to like that answer, but I do think everybody can be right. And that the curve is telling you that not everything is great, but not everything is horrible either. I like that. I, I like that answer because it sounds like it's, it's, it sounds sort of, I think more in line with what some of us are seeing and feeling. We just can't figure out because if it has to be one or the other, you're seeing these kind of rolling issues. And that sounds more like what you're describing. So what do you think is, um, you know, in turn, I, I'm going back to the rebar thing, which I'm obsessed with instead sort of watching that big infrastructure spend. I've been wondering for a while, is that priced in? Is that, is that, priced into that sector. I don't even know what it would be like basic materials or that mm. the 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 idea of that fiscal spend starting really to make its way into the ground probably touches a lot of different industries. But is that already priced in or is there room on room on the upside for that whole play? I think there's room on the upside for that whole play. I mean there's room on the upside for you know Ford on that play and call it the you know the return of American manufacturing, the return of the American worker. I think there's a lot of room to run across multiple industries. Um, you just, I, I do think it's going to take a significant amount of work to find the winners, but you know, it's good for Caterpillar, it's good for Deer, it's good for a lot of these heavy, uh, call it boring Midwest companies. Nothing boring about if people are making money off it, that's for sure. Uh, do you feel like tech can continue to perform here or, does it does it feel like some of those gains because it it happened it bounced off so rapidly we were talking about earlier oh the market's down today and it was a little weaker at the open as we mentioned you know year to date the nasdaq up 36 percent though and that was really driven by that ai move has that has that has has leadership rotated or can that still carry a lot of the market i i, I would say it can still carry it can still carry a lot of the market, but I, I, I would caveat it with, uh, look over my shoulder again. Uh, I would caveat it uh, pretty heavily with, I, I'm not sure all those gains were because of just AI. There's been a lot of what I call uh, operating, um, call it operating leverage uh, that has been put back into these companies. Uh, the, you know, when they were able to lay off some of the workers that they didn't necessarily need. Uh, over time, that's pure bottom line. Um, and that is a higher, 
call it peak earnings, that's a higher multiple. Uh, and they probably don't suffer any, call it shortfall on long-term growth because of it. Uh, so I would say they're becoming leaner, they're becoming meaner, they're going to have significantly higher earnings over time. Uh, but, and we're going to continue to see, call it the OPEX redux, uh, continue to uh, be a story and something that I think catches people off guard. I mean, Meta is going to be a more profitable company than it would have been a year and a half, two years ago. And I think that's really important to understand and it has nothing to do with AI. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, Sam, you gave us so much great stuff to think about. I love this conversation. Um, we've got a, a really robust debate and conversation happening on the platform sort of in, in line with this too. And you all bring up um, really great points there. So we're gonna sort of continue on this theme. We've got an Academy session coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, so, so we'll keep it going because this is super fascinating. Everyone really trying to figure out that recession, the most telegraphed recession ever just never seems to come. Um, and so really sort of great tidbits in there for us today, Sam, as to why that might be and, and what to look for going forward. So we appreciate it. That train almost got you, but we made it. Yes. <laughs> no there must be that's just an indication of how robust the economy is because about 12 went by in our half hour conversation but yes. you did so well not to be distracted by it we love that well and it's just so everybody knows i'm in houston and the train light is flashing so every time that the commuter train goes by it has to honk so it doesn't hit a car <laughs> well, so, uh, well, well, that's good. I mean, at least there, no one perished in this um, and you survived as well, like a total professional. So we appreciate it. The, oh, Christopher said that sound is, <laughs> that sound is the recession train arriving over his <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> I love it. Christopher, we love your, we love your contributions. <laughs> Listen, everybody. So great. Thank you so much. As always on Friday, I'm going to send you off with a toast. It's Kava. You can thank Ralph for that, everyone. Have a wonderful summer weekend and we'll catch you all next week. Sam, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, take care. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.